The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Glad you've joined me today as we talk about when God applies the rules of suffering to himself. And so our conversation is titled, As Above, So Below. And this is when God applies the rules of suffering to himself. Many believers have found themselves wrestling with circumstances from which they cannot, in a sense, extricate themselves from. Uh, They find or encounter situations laden with injustice, suffering, loss, and often the circumstances seem to be pitted against them. Sometimes believers search the scriptures to discover, quote-unquote, an out, or prayed or fasted, or even enlisted the prayers of others and and sought a variety of ways, some ingenious, (laughs) to extricate themselves from the circumstances of suffering to no avail. And to their dismay, the suffering continues. And and these circumstances under which we find ourselves uh, run the gamut from our personal illness, sometimes circumstances arriving from our own disobedience, difficulties at home, children, perhaps a wayward spouse, uh, problems within the local church gathering, uh, sometimes in the workplace. Uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it can be a wide variety of situations that cause us to be uh, on the losing end of, of the matter, and, and we find ourselves uh, at a disadvantage, if you will. Now, we can turn the corner a bit because the Lord Jesus, in his uh, conversation with the uh, disciples, dealt with this matter of suffering. Uh, There was a point at the latter end of his ministry uh, when Jesus had a conversation with the disciples in which he clearly pointed to himself as the Messiah. And uh, we find this in Matthew chapter 16. And of course, the objective was to establish a clear baseline in their understanding about his intrinsic identity and purpose in coming to the nation of Israel and, of course, at large to the world. And uh, it was in this conversation that Peter makes his uh, famous declaration of faith, saying, uh, quote, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that was found in Matthew sixteen sixteen. But uh, it was in answer to the question, who do men say that I am? You know, and at one point he said, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
And uh, it's at this point that the Lord Jesus changes the narrative surrounding his ministry and purpose and uh, begins to take the disciples uh, to a new uh, and alarming truth, which in reality is really an old and alarming truth. Uh, as we look at the uh, annals of Scripture and, and men of God that, uh, that you know, pass through difficulties. And uh, we find that both the law and the prophets uh, pointed to the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, as the Son of God. And uh, the disciples, of course, Peter in particular, clearly declared him to be such. Uh, and the Lord Jesus indicated that he was going to suffer. He was going to suffer. In fact, he told them, and scriptures tell us, that from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go away to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And uh, not only that, but he would be rejected and murdered and in three days rise again from the dead. So the suffering had an end, a very glorious end. And so the Son of God, the perfect one, sinless in all his ways, would have, if I may put it this way, the privilege of experiencing unjust suffering that God the Spirit so clearly displays in the scriptures and that God allows in our lives. And, and, and this, this component of suffering is going to play out in the panoply of human events on the Son of God himself in specific. And so, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the title of our conversation is As Above so below. And what we're dealing with are the unjust sufferings of Jesus and of the believer. And this is going to be the matter that we'll be contemplating for the next few podcasts. But we're starting out with the Son of God himself, the ultimate perfect man uh, believed to be among Christians, both divine and human, fully, 100%, he would have the privilege of experiencing unjust suffering the same way God allows in our lives will be part of his human experience as well. This is a vital life lesson for every believer. As we deal with the issue of suffering, and oftentimes unjustly. This is the crux of the matter right here. Suffering is a vital component in the spiritual life because it is the aggregate experience that allows God to insert his grace, his love, execute his promises, and affords the saints, the believers, the supreme opportunity of walking with God. It touches everyone that bears the mark of humanity, even and especially the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Suffering is a vital component in the spiritual life. 
because it is the aggregate experience of all men and it allows God to insert his grace, love, bring to pass his promises and affords believers, the saints of God, the supreme opportunity of walking with God. And so our conversation today and subsequent podcasts will center on the purpose of and the learnings garnered from suffering in the spiritual life. And I want to say that we can, we can state it in this way. Suffering is a necessary component in the paradigm of the spiritual life and experience of walking with God. It is in this environment, this, this sphere of suffering, that holiness is brought into the believer's walk. Obedience is tested. Christ is brought forth into a uh, that people see the person of our Lord Jesus Christ in our mortal beings. Holiness made a part of our walk and, and, and Christian experience. Obedience, oftentimes put to the test. And Christ is manifested in our mortal bodies. People can see that there's, there's more to us than what they see. There's something, if you will, heavenly. And uh, we may, in subsequent podcasts, uh, recap previous conversations that we had, for example, when we dealt with counterculture change agents, you know, those of us who are salt and lights in this dark world, and also some uh, uh, vital truths extracted in the parable of the sower, and in specific, the seed which fell on rocky soil, but that's not for uh, our consideration today. And we'll also take a, at the, uh, a look at the life of Joseph a little later on in our conversation as he becomes the Old Testament model typifying the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ as well as being a model for the believer in unjust suffering. And uh, that said, let's, let's consider a few thoughts about what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples. Now, Suffering ultimately was part of his eternal destiny, if you could put it that way. Um, when he spoke to uh, his disciples, uh, he stated it clearly. The Son of Man must, must go away to Jerusalem and suffer many things. It must happen. It is part of the why he came into this world, and we'll see later on. But uh, he also said a little further on in his conversation, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So the Lord Jesus is leading the way in bearing the cross. This is the mark that, that, that uh, identifies the believer. This is the shadow uh, under which we live, the cross. Dying to self in this world. Living for the glory of God. Sometimes people often question themselves as to what their destiny in this world is. And the way God designed the spiritual walk, and often puzzling to us, is that the cross is, is a vital element for anyone walking with God. Anyone. The cross becomes part of the human experience because it is the one component 
That's the door to experiencing the all-sufficiency of God's grace for any human being. We'll never know what the grace of God is like except in suffering. Paul had a thorn that he asked the Lord three times to remove it. Remove it. And the response from the Lord was that his grace is sufficient. I'll share a few stories perhaps as we go on in our conversations about this topic that I personally experienced as well. Suffice to say that the cross is a vital element for every believer to experience the the all-sufficiency of God's grace. There is no other way to to know that God's grace is sufficient in one's life. And in Matthew 16, the Lord Jesus addresses this key element after the topic of his Messiahship. And Scripture says, for example, in verse 21, that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, and I'm, I'm repeating this for emphasis, he must go to Jerusalem. This is This is part and parcel of the path. And when the term must is used, it implies that there's no exclusion of this element, this element of suffering. There's no question as to its criticality in the uh, the life of the Christian. It's necessary in any believer's walk with God. This is a door we all have to go through. This is a portal that we must pass. And we have to do so willingly. Because at the end of suffering, there's a new thing birthed in us. Whether a new experience of walking with God, a a new experience of His grace, perhaps some old habits have now gone to the wayside and something new has taken its place, uh, a greater grace, a greater evidencing of the, the control of the Spirit of God, but there's always something new. As long as we willingly enter into this experience of suffering, we will realize that that thing which was there is no longer there, but a new thing is in its place. Uh, you know, for the Lord Jesus, at the end of that, that, that passion, as it's often known, was the resurrection. Was the resurrection a seed falling into the ground and dying. And he says if, 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 it, if it doesn't die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. There's something born that's far greater than what was originally there. And the Lord Jesus is setting before us the unequivocal, absolute necessity of this vital component in the spiritual life. And that is suffering. Set it to your hearts, my friend. It is necessary. If, if God, the Son, could not circumvent the sufferings that awaited him, but he embraced them, and we know we have the uh, testimony of this, the, the Spirit of God concerning uh, the trial, the difficulty that, that our Lord Jesus passed through and alone, then The conclusion is it must be embraced at some point in our walk. Every believer following the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to fast forward to the end time uh, events, the last seven years of, of the Gentile domination of the world, 
in uh, John's Revelation, chapter 13, uh, John was given a view into the war between the beast of Revelation, uh, of the beast, if you will, of, of this, this uh, uh, seven-year period, the Great Tribulation, and, and the war he had with the saints during this, this time, this time of trouble. And in that narrative, John makes reference to the fact that the earth on a total scale will be worshiping this beast. Firstly, because their names were not written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Or uh, other translations may have it, the Lamb uh, who was clearly slain. So evidently the Lord Jesus will bear the marks of his suffering even in eternity. Even in eternity. I think we find it in uh, either Revelation chapter 5 or 6 when uh, the book the seals were to be opened and there was none found to open the uh, seals and, and, and you know, uh, officiate over the, 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 the things of God, the matters that belong to the Godhead. And John wept. And of course, uh, there appeared a lamb, as it were, that had been slain. And that is to emphasize the fact that the Lord Jesus bears the mark of what he passed through. Suffering is germane to the Christian life. Many Seek to avoid it, to circumvent it, but God will not have it so. Nonetheless, uh, it's noteworthy uh, to see that those believers at the end of the Gentile age were not exempt from this experience of suffering, which clearly identified them with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain. And at the beginning of time, if we go back to Genesis, the first family experienced uh, suffering, and uh, a godly man, Abel, was slain by his own brother Cain because Abel's sacrifice was accepted of God, a lamb, and Cain, which was the produce, was not. And as a result of perhaps his jealousy and anger towards his brother and the fact that, he, that his sacrifice was rejected, he murdered his brother. Suffering. Is part, parcel, germane, a key element to a life of walking with God. I will be emphasizing and re-emphasizing this for, because it is needful for the believer. It's necessary for each of us to go through a time of suffering as we walk our pilgrim pathway on this earth. And so too, our Lord Jesus took on humanity, and as he was made inferior to the angels, we are told in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, for the purpose of the suffering of death. And now he's crowned with glory and honor for the magnitude and accomplishment of the redemptive plan of God. The redemptive plan that was executed on behalf of all mankind. Suffering, suffering, I repeat, suffering was a necessary component to accomplish this great work. As we are told in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10. And so I, I, want to, I want to capsulate this thought that it was part of the Father's redemptive plan, my dear brother and sister, that our Lord Jesus Christ should experience death for every man. And the scripture goes on to say 
that it, it became him. It adorned his person as he was the one for whom all things were created and by whom all things have been created in order to bring many sons into glory, we are told, must endure suffering. This is the only way we could have been brought to God. It was through the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say, this is the only way we will be made of value, of good, useful to men and women that, that, that we mingle with and are able to minister to them and provide comfort to saints and to those who may be pagan as well. Because we are comforted by the comfort that God gives the Spirit of God and the Word of God in our experience, and we're able with that same comfort to comfort others. And so we are told uh, that our Lord Jesus, as the author and finisher of our salvation, was made, if, if you will, complete or perfect or whole. The role, the, 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 the office that he would fill was now, he was fully um, ready, if you will, equipped. You know, sometimes you see generals with all of their medals and honors and, and, and accomplishments. In a sense, the Lord Jesus was perfect for the role because he was made complete through suffering. It is the badge of honor that our Lord Jesus Christ bears, and that is the substitutionary suffering on behalf of all men so that all who believe may be brought to God as sons. And so let's return to the dialogue between uh, the Lord Jesus and his disciples, because it is at this point in the conversation that Peter intervenes after the Lord Jesus makes his declarations concerning his sufferings. Uh, Peter intervenes, taking Jesus aside to himself, we're told in verse 22, saying, forbid that this experience might be so. In other words, it is something to be avoided. Peter's assertion essentially was to, to appeal to the Lord Jesus to avoid this. And note, my friends, that the Lord Jesus emphatically rebuked Peter, saying, Get away behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for your mind is not on the things that are of God, but the things that are of men. Now, whether, he, whether Satan placed that thought in his head, or it is a, a, a sort of a, a euphemistic term to, to say, get thee behind me, Satan. The point of the matter is his statement and his objective to uh, steer the Lord Jesus in a different direction, away from suffering. He had to be rebuked. Why? Because it is the mind of God, it is the purposes of God, that all who bear the name of sons of God Suffering is part and partial of their lives and even for the Lord Jesus Christ as well. He says, you are an offense to me. You're offensive to me. You're offensive. Your mind is not on the things that are of God. And so the suffering that the Lord Jesus is foretelling, uh, his disciples, is encased in the statement, the things that are of God. He says, your mind is not on the things that are of God. Suffering is part and 
parcel of God's plan for the believer. We'll see in a little while why that is so. But suffering is a component that is etched in the fabric of the spiritual life. Now, we all, we know all men suffer, but the purpose of suffering is different for the Christian, both in the purpose and the result. The Lord Jesus alludes to the result when he says to his disciples that after he is killed, he will be raised the third day. So suffering doesn't simply, uh, how can I put it? It doesn't end with the suffering in and of itself, with some purposelessness. But it has an ultimate blessing, a new growth. There's always something new that comes out of the suffering experience. And that is where the believer's faith must be fixed at all times. Fixed on the end, the target, the result of the experience, the objective that will be realized after the storm is passed. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5, the first two verses, lays out the principle again before us. And it says, Be you therefore imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Now here it is. Even as the Christ loved us and delivered himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Note, he delivered himself up for us. We are the beneficiaries of the purpose of his suffering. But the objective of his suffering was to, in complete obedience to the Father's will, lay down his life an offering and a sacrifice to God. And this was well-pleasing. It was considered to be a sweet aroma, like the incense that, that burned in, in the, the most holy place in the Old Testament. It needed to be burning night and day, and, and uh, the, uh, the priest, the high priest, needed to make sure that incense was always burning. It covered the mercy seat. It was pleasant to God, a life of sacrifice. And please note, my friend, that the suffering was clearly evident. As we are told, Jesus delivered himself up for us. It necessitated a yielding of his life to becoming a sacrifice. This was why the suffering was necessary. The Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, had in view the bringing of lost souls to himself through the offering and sacrificial work of our Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And this could only be accomplished through suffering. In addition, his life, sacrificial work, and perfect obedience was before God as a sweet aroma, the sweet aroma of a life filled with the Spirit of God, lived in perfect obedience to the will of God, and executed perfectly to the satisfaction of the Godhead. And the end result is that multitudes through the centuries since Calvary have been the beneficiaries of the eternal love of God in giving us eternal life through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
this was the end objective of the suffering experience of our Lord. We became the beneficiaries of that obedience and experience. Now, let's, let's shift gears a bit and, and look at the Old Testament example of Joseph. In Genesis, you know, we'll find... Oh, but we're just going to look at an overview. Perhaps in later podcasts we'll look in, in greater detail. But in Genesis, uh, Joseph's life is covered from the 37th chapter to about the 45th chapter. And he becomes just an excellent model, both of our Lord Jesus Christ in type and certainly for the believer in practice. And when we look at the life of, of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 45, the same principle is laid out clearly before us. And what's noteworthy is that Joseph understood and responded to this principle. It didn't lessen, let me just caution right here, it did not lessen the intensity of the trial, nor its duration. But the awareness and acceptance of this vital spiritual component made all the difference. Why? Because this suffering that this young man passed through was having its perfect work in him. Just as James says in the first chapter of his letter to the Christians scattered throughout Asia. Asia, He says, let patience or endurance have its perfect work, its complete work, that you may be perfect, mature, or entire, lacking nothing. The maturation of the believer the perfection, the, the, the growing up of that believer into manhood in Christ is perfected as we endure trial. It's perfected. And so in Genesis chapter 37, there are two instances in which Joseph is given dreams, as you well know. In the first, we are told that he shared the dreams with his brothers, saying, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and remained standing, and behold, your sheaves came around, uh, round about and bowed to my sheaf. That was in uh, verse, th- verse 7 of, of uh, chapter 37. Now, please note that Joseph was only given the end result, the blessing part, the objective that God would have to be realized as the fruit of, of his suffering. But Joseph was never given the path to that end result. But that result of them bowing down, that end result of blessing, which he couldn't see the whole picture, but he knew from that dream that he was going to have a significant role that will result in his brothers bowing down to him and then ultimately even his, his parents or his father and his brothers. But he was never given the path to that end result. But the path necessitated betrayal by his brothers, being sold into slavery, being falsely accused by a married woman, being forgotten by a prisoner that he uh, interpreted a dream favorably. Not that the dream, the the interpretation was a favorable end, not that Joseph had any uh, influence on the outcome of the dream. And he, he essentially was, was a, a resident prisoner for two years after that positive uh, interpretation. Uh, totally forgotten. And all of this suffering over a 13-year period was a necessary path ordained by God to bring about 
one result. What is that? That Joseph would be the savior of the physical land. In fact, that's why he was given the name by Pharaoh. He was the savior. Not only of the physical land of Egypt, but the surrounding nations, including Canaan. And all of these regions came to Egypt for grain, for their sustenance. They all were the beneficiaries of this young man's willing submission in obedience to God through suffering. And note that in uh, chapter 42, and, and I want you to pay special attention to what he said. For example, in chapter 42, around verse 21, Reuben, as they were, as they were sort of chiding one another because of the, the little ruse that uh, Joseph was, was, was playing on them, uh, they not knowing that he was their brother. But Reuben stated to his brothers that Joseph was crying out in anguish when they kept him in the pit prior to selling him into slavery. And so this clearly indicates that this young man was really suffering in a very personal way. And I want to add that when he was purchased by Potiphar in Egypt, uh, as you know from the narrative that his wife, Potiphar's wife, set her eyes on Joseph and Joseph even appealed to her, appealed to her reason by stating that there was none greater than him in, in Potiphar's house. And he's, he hasn't withheld anything from Joseph except Mrs. Potiphar. Nothing. No one is greater in the house than Joseph. And the only thing he withheld is you his wife. And he said, how should I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he knew that obedience was, as I mentioned earlier, is going to be one of the things that, that comes out of suffering. Our obedience is going to be tested. Will we be faithful to what we know pleases God? And clearly he was appealing to reason, to her reason, intending that she should see the wrongs of what she is asking him to do. And because he refused to yield, he was again in a worse state. He was cast into prison by the lies she concocted and told to her husband. So I ask you, was it unjust? Yes, it was. Typically, suffering is. When we are being treated unfairly or poorly, I hope <laughs> it's undeserved. And we're going to have a lot to learn about that as we go into the, the uh, first letter of Peter uh, in our next uh, and subsequent podcast. Uh, my second question is, was it needful to get Joseph on the path to being the, the second most powerful man in Egypt? Yes, it was. And thirdly, did it yield, as the scriptures often state, a peaceable fruit of righteousness in his life by submitting to the will of God as difficult as it was for him? Yes. Was it easy to be forgotten in a prison for two long years? Yes, it was. And so we see this in this final episode of suffering for this young man being forgotten uh, in prison after uh, giving a favorable interpretation of, of uh, the chief butler's, uh, yes, the chief butler's uh, dream. Graduation day came. 
And Pharaoh had a dream that none can interpret. And the chief butler remembered his errors on that day. Joseph embraced suffering. Although difficult, he did so without complaint. And so, my friends, after he gave a, a favorable interpretation of uh, Pharaoh's dream and what God was about to do and the sureness of it, he was placed as, I guess we could call him, the prime minister of Egypt. And in due times, his brothers would come to Egypt for grain and end up bowing down before him just as he had seen in his dreams 13 years prior. But in closing, I want you to think about this. It is of the utmost importance that we pay attention to what Joseph said. For example, he said, Be not grieved and be not angry with yourselves that you sold me here. And here it is. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Do you see that, my friends? God the God of heaven and earth, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ sent me before you to preserve life. And he goes on in his explanation to them. He says, saying, So God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to save you alive by a great deliverance. God wanted to deliver you. And he sent me ahead. God had a purpose. And Joseph needed to yield and embrace that purpose we're not told if he understood it fully or not, but what we do know is that he remained faithful and he remained obedient. And perhaps the most important statement in this drama of events in Joseph's life is that he told his brothers, fear not, and this, this is what he said after his father uh, uh, Jacob had died by this time, and he said, fear not, am I then in the place of God? You indeed meant evil against me. God meant it for good in order that he might do as it is this day to save a great people alive. And so what we learn here is that sometimes when we are experiencing suffering, albeit unjustly, just as our Lord Jesus Christ did, my friends, God has a purpose. Sometimes it is not clear to us what that purpose is. Sometimes we can't see the end result from where we are standing in the midst of that suffering. But it is the will of God to bring about some good that we might not see on this side of heaven. But Joseph states it for us. This should be the banner over our hearts. Am I in the place of God? You meant evil against me. And perhaps the people who are treating us poorly, badly, unjustly, unfairly, are meaning it for evil. But God is using it for good in order that he might do some good work, bring about some result that could be done no other way. If, if, and I say if, we remain faithful and obedient in the midst of our suffering. And so Joseph clearly saw the end result the objective set forth by God and was able to embrace God's grace as this whole panoply of events was unfolding before him. And I want to say, my dear friends, as we quiet ourselves beside still waters, as we seek to, 
to foster, to cultivate a walk with God, it is necessary that we be patient in suffering because God has a purpose, an end result, an objective that might be for our blessing by being used of God or for the blessing of others, adding to their lives in, in some way, some spiritual gift that we will impart. Either way, my friends, as we seek to walk with God and do walk with God, it may not be clear what the end objective is. But this is for sure. We need only endure the trial, beseeching God for grace to remain in it. And in due time, the answer or purpose will be made clear. Why? Because it's on its way. May God just use these thoughts to bless and strengthen our hearts as we pass through a time of suffering. Father, remember each one purchased by blood that as we pass through difficulties that perplexes us, help us to trust you where we cannot trace you and grant by your grace that our lives would bring glory to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ as we seek to follow him in the path of suffering. Thank you for joining Besides the Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.